you could please turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 10. Judges chapter 10. I had this mad idea that we could finish the book of Judges before Christmas. And this week I decided we're not going to get there. (laughs) So we're just going to look at Judges uh, 10 together this week. Can you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we're asking you to speak. That's what we have been singing, and so we pray that you'll do it. Lord, you know I feel weak. You know many of us feel tired and feeble and strained, and yet, Lord, we know that the moment we open up this book, Lord, you speak. What a privilege it is. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us your word. I pray that we would seek as your people not to stand over it, but to sit under it. Lord, speak by all authority that you have. Help us, Lord. We need you. Amen. Amen. Um, I was reminded this week... As I was thinking on this passage of the account of a man by the name of John Harper. Uh, John Harper was saved at the age of 14. At 17 years of age, he began to preach on the streets. He had a heart to tell people about his Savior. Became an evangelist with Baptist Pioneer Missions. He served as an evangelist with them. He was married and he lost his wife when she was quite young. They had a six-year-old daughter. He was invited on many evangelistic preaching occasions. And one of those occasions, he was invited over to the United States with his six-year-old daughter. As he was traveling over to the States, the ship hit an iceberg. The ship's name was the Titanic. Harper got his daughter into a lifeboat she was saved, and no one knew what happened with him. Until a few months later, in Canada, in Ontario and Canada, a Scottish man stood up in a prayer meeting, and he said that he was on the Titanic. And when he was on the Titanic, he grabbed a hold of some driftwood, held onto the driftwood, and he said, there was this man who came <laughs> on other driftwood who came close to me, And he shouted at me, and he said to me this, Man, are you saved? I said to him, no. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Harper drifted off. He came back. He shouted to the man again, Man, are you saved now? The man said, no. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That young Scottish man in that Canadian prayer meeting said, I was John Harper's last convert. As John Harper died, his last words were this, are you saved? That's my question for you this morning. 
it is really the most important question you will ever ask in your life. Are you saved? And I don't just ask that for the adults in the room. I ask that to all the children in the room too. Are you saved? Because it is the most important question that you will ever ask in your life. And if this morning you find yourself that you are saved and that you do trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and that you do believe in Him, for those who are saved, we need to know what we are saved from Because our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is glorious. It is undeserved. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it is glorious. And this morning, that is what I want you to get a picture of. I want you to know that you are saved. And if you are saved, I want you to know what you are saved from. And that is what I believe the first few verses of chapter 10 in Judges tell us and remind us. They remind us of what we are saved from. 10 verse 1 says this, After Abimelech there rose to save Israel, Tola, the son of Pua, son of Dodo, a man of Issachar. And he lived in Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim. And he judged Israel 23 years. Then he died and was buried at Shamir. After him arose Jair the Gileadite, who judged Israel 22 years. And he had had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys, and they had 30 cities, called Havoth Jair, to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Canaan. These are verses that we would often read over. We read these verses and you kind of wonder, what is the point in them? You read these verses and as you go through your Bible reading, you kind of skim through them. You might even chuckle at them because they're not really good at naming people, are they? Son of Pua, son of Dodo, or Dudu. And then you've got this thing of 30 sons and 30 donkeys and 30 cities. And you wonder, what on earth does this tell us? I think it reminds us what we are saved from. It says in the first two words, After Abimelech there arose. And Abimelech's story, Abimelech's account, reminds us of what we are saved from. After Abimelech there arose to save. We are reminded of what we are saved from because Abimelech's story was this. He wanted power, he wanted control, and he did whatever it took to get that power and get that control. And so what he did, he had 70 brothers that were in his way. And so in order to get power and control, he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill those 70 brothers on one stone. And he did. And what was the result for his life? The result for his life was punishment. And that is what I want you to be reminded of this morning. If you are saved this morning, you are saved from the just punishment 
of your sin. That's what we're saved from. After Abimelech, at the end of Abimelech's account, at the end of chapter 9, verse 56, it says this. It talks about this punishment. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. The Lord punished them for the evil that they had done. And what you have in the scriptures and what you have in the book of Judges is this theme of both salvation and judgment. Salvation and judgment. The flood story is an account of the salvation of Noah's family, but it is also the account of the judgment of the world. In Sodom and Gomorrah, you have the salvation of Lot, but you have the judgment of the cities. When it comes to the Egyptians and God's people, you have the salvation of God's people and yet the, the judgment of the Egyptian army. When you come to the book of the prophets, you have the prophets speech, speaking a message of judgment, but there is also a message of salvation for a specific small group of God's people. And on the final day, when we come to the day of judgment... It will be a day of salvation for some and a day of punishment for others. When you are saved, you need to know that you are saved from this, the just punishment of your sin. It speaks of the Lord in His character. The Lord speaks in in Exodus 34 and He says this of Himself. 34 verse 6, He says, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love for thousands, and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet, He does not leave the guilty go unpunished. If you are saved this morning, you are saved from the punishment that your sin deserves. The Lord, yes, He is gracious and compassionate, and yet the Lord, He will not leave the guilty go unpunished. And this is what we have seen in Abimelech's account. Abimelech did the evil by killing his sons and the Lord, uh, killing his brothers, and the Lord brought about justice. The Lord will always bring about justice, whether on this world Or in the next, the Lord will bring justice. He will not leave the guilty go unpunished. That is why this question is so important. Are you saved? Because the Lord will not let the guilty go unpunished. And if you do not trust in Jesus today for the salvation of your sins, You will be punished. Either you will pay for your sins or Jesus will. And my encouragement to you today is to trust in Him. This is a question that not only we should ask of ourselves, but John Harper in his account teaches us something. What if we saw that as the most important question there is to ever ask anyone in life. Are you saved?
That's why we are here. That's why this church was started. Because we want people to be saved. We want them to trust in Jesus. We want them to know Jesus. We want them to love Jesus. We want them to know what it is to have sins forgiven. We do not want them to experience the punishment of hell. Jesus taught about hell more than anybody else. Anybody else. Jesus said that hell is the place of fire. But that hell is also the place of darkness. That hell is the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. That hell is not five years or ten years. That hell is eternal. But Jesus said, I have come to give you life. Not only is the punishment eternal, but so is the salvation if you would trust in Jesus. That's what we want for people, isn't it? Isn't that what you want of all your loved ones in your family? Don't you want all of your loved ones to be saved? Your mothers, your fathers, your brothers, your sisters, your uncles, your aunts. That's what we want. We want them to be saved. That's our desire. This is why we have this event, Hope in the Darkness. Because we truly believe that there is hope in Jesus. And our efforts, they are feeble. I'll I'll give you that. Our efforts, they are feeble. But what we want is people to know the hope of Jesus. That no matter what you are going through, no matter what you are feeling, no matter what you are experiencing in life, there is no more condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And that is good news. And we want everybody to hear it and know it. And so brothers and sisters, if you are saved this morning, you're not just saved to go to church. I mean, if that's all we're saved for, it seems pretty boring. I was saved to sit on a seat for an hour and a half. No, you were not saved to just sit on a seat for an hour and a half. We were saved for eternal life in Christ Jesus. We have been saved, saved from the fires of hell. And every single one of us, that is what we deserve. And yet by His grace and for His glory, He has chosen us and saved saved us. When we think we don't deserve hell, here's what we don't have a right picture of. Our sin and our Savior. Our sin has grieved Him and His holiness is beyond all compare. And yet how amazing it is that through Jesus we are saved from the punishment of hell. Brothers and sisters, you need to go home today singing his praises that he saved a wretch like me. That's why we sing Amazing Grace, because it is that. It is amazing. We are saved from the punishment that we deserve. But these verses also tell us what else we are saved from. Chapter 10, verse 1, after Abimelech, there arose to save Israel, Tola. 
What else are we saved from? We are not only saved from our punishment that we deserve. But when you look at this verse, it says, Abimelech, there arose to save Israel. And the question you should have is this. Who are they saved from? Because the verse doesn't tell us who they were saved from. We know throughout the book of Judges that people were saved from the Moabites and they were saved from the Midianites and they were saved from the Amalekites and they were saved from all the other ites. We know that people were saved from certain people. But here in this verse, we don't know who they are saved from. After Abimelech, there arose to save Israel. Who are Israel saved from? One writer, I think, has it right when he says, I believe that the Lord has saved them from themselves. Abimelech made a right old mess, didn't he? Of God's people, where they were at. They were killing each other. They were turned against each other. And yet, there arose someone to save. That is incredible grace. Because when you look at this, the pattern of this book, we have talked about the pattern of this book like this. Sin, suffering, sadness, salvation. We have seen the sin in Abimelech's life. We have seen the suffering because on account of his sin that he killed the 70 sons. We've seen the suffering. But there is no sadness. In these verses from the end of chapter 9 to the beginning of chapter 10, we see no sadness. We see no reflecting on their sin. We see no crying out to God. We see no repentance, no sign of nothing. All we see is their sin. All we see is what Abimelech has done. And yet what we see in chapter 10 verse 1 is this, God saves. There's no repentance, no crying out. And yet what does God do? God saves. What has God saved you from? He has saved you from the punishment that your sin deserves. He has saved you from the power of Satan in your life. Satan no longer rules. He has saved you from that. He has saved you from this world, out of this world. Yes, you live in this world, but you are not of this world. Remember that, brothers and sisters, you do not belong here. This is not your home. We're saved from all those things. But you know what else you are saved from? You're saved from yourself. I've realized something in my life. Sometimes I am my own worst enemy. Do you know why Shane Dean sins? I could blame Satan. I could blame the world. But if I'm honest, sometimes I sin because I like it. Why else would you sin? Why else would you sin if you didn't like it? So what God has done in saving us, He saved us from ourselves because before we thought we could be saved by our own works, our own actions, our own deeds, our own behavior. Until Jesus came in and said, you can't save yourself. Only I can save you. 
while these verses are ones we would skip, I think it tells us of what God has truly saved us from. He has saved us from the punishment that we had deserved. And He has saved us from ourselves. Isn't that worth praising God today? I am not going to hell. There's no more condemnation for me. The Lord has saved me. My sins are removed from me as far as the east is from the west. My sins, they are washed as white as snow because He has saved me. And you think, after this salvation that the Lord brings for 23 years with Tola, and for, I don't know how many years it says, 22 years for Jair, you'd think the people would embrace the Lord's salvation. You'd think the people would finally live for the Lord. But do you know what happens in the book of Judges? This happens. The same old pattern, again and again and again and again. The Lord saves them even though they don't cry out to Him. And yet they turn back to sin, suffering, sadness, and salvation. Look at verse 6. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baal and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve Him. Again, after this salvation that the Lord has brought, the salvation that they did not deserve, Salvation from punishment that they do deserve. Yet God's people return to their sin again. It's the story of our lives, isn't it? I know the Lord has saved me. And yet again I return. And they don't only return. Here's the rebuke for them. They don't only return to one idol, the Baals, or two idols, the Ashtaroth, or three idols, the gods of Syria. No, they have seven idols it recounts in this account, which tells us that their sin, their idolatry, is in a weird way the perfect idolatry. Running after seven idols. That's what idols do to us, isn't it? One idol is never enough for us, is it? We need more and more. And so they sin. And what is after sin? There is suffering. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and He sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites. Verse 8. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years they oppressed all the people of Israel and who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. After their sin, there is suffering. They suffer the punishment of their sin. 
And after the punishment of their sin, what is there? Sin, suffering, sadness. God's people, they cry out to Him. But in the crying out to Him, here's what we learn. I don't think we only learn what God has saved us from in this passage. That we are saved from punishment. and That we are saved from ourselves. But I think the Lord also tells us what we are saved to. Yes, you are saved when you are saved. You are saved from something. But you are also saved to something. We are saved from the fires of hell to eternal life with our Savior. We are saved to our Savior. Do you know what the greatest prize in heaven is? The greatest prize in heaven is not no more sin or suffering or illness or pain or sorrow. That is a prize. It's not the greatest prize. The greatest prize is on that day when our faith turns into sight. (laughs) That will be the greatest prize. When I actually see Him, when my faith turns into sight, we are saved from something. We are saved to something. And that is what we are saved to in eternity. But what are we saved to on this earth? And what I think we can learn from this passage is that we are saved to a life of real and genuine repentance. Because what you will see in the book of Judges is again and again, this cycle keeps happening where God's people cry out to Him and they do it again. And they cry out to Him and they do it again. And they cry out to Him and they do it again. But I think what we are saved to in this life is not a fake repentance that feels bad about the consequences of my sin but a real repentance that feels real sorrow for my sin. Because when you read of the account of God's people in Judges chapter 10, when you first read in verse 10, 10 verse 10, their cry to the Lord, you think that's genuine repentance. Look at what it says, verse 10. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord saying, we have sinned against you. Because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. After their suffering, they cry out to the Lord. And they simply say this to the Lord, Lord, we have sinned against you. And so as you look at that, you think, okay, that's real repentance. Okay, that's genuine repentance. Now the Lord is going to save them, surely. But that is not what the Lord says. Verse 11, it says this. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, I did not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the Ammonites and from the Philistines, the Sidonians also and the Amalekites, the Maonites oppressed you and you cried out to me and I saved you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no 
more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. The Lord looks at their repentance and the Lord says, this is not real repentance. This is fake repentance. The only reason these people are repenting is because of the consequences of their sin and not the reality of their sin. And so what the Lord says is, I saved you. The Lord didn't save them from one people, the Egyptians, from two people, the Amorites, from three people, the Ammonites, from four people, the Philistines. No, the Lord has saved them from seven people groups, which is the perfect salvation. So here's what happens in the passage. You have a picture of perfect idolatry, fallen idolatry from God's people. And God is saying, I saved you again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And yet you ran after other gods. And what God said to them is, if you want them, you can have them now. Let them save you. This is why this question, are you saved, is so very, very important. Because there will be a time where the offer of salvation will be given to you no more. There will be a time where God's patience with people stops. And that time is when you die. You have the time now. You have God's patience now to turn from Him, to turn to Him. What God wants from us is not fake repentance. He wants real repentance. And if God wants real repentance from us, then you and I need to know what real repentance looks like. Because there's no question that sometimes we feel bad about what we do. Is repentance just feeling bad about what I've done? I don't think so. There's a couple of questions I have for us that can help us to find out whether our repentance is real or fake. And when God sees His people repent here, He says it's fake. So how do we know if our repentance is real? First, you could ask this. Do you really hate your sin? If your repentance is going to be real, you must really hate your sin. Again, why do we go back to it? We like it. We must really hate our sin. The Christian fight by the power of the Holy Spirit is a fight of faith against the plans and schemes of the evil one and against ourselves, the sin that we would commit. Do you really hate your sin? Number two, do you accept the consequences for your sin? Yes, I hate my sin. I don't like my sin. And here's what I'm going to do. Whatever consequences, I'm going to accept them. Because while we can have forgiveness of our sins, that doesn't remove us from all the consequences of our sins. 
And sometimes when you're owning up to your sin, like, like Zacchaeus, he went and made amends to all those people he had stolen from. There's a reality to the consequences of our sin. Number three, have you been honest about your sin? Do you hate your sin? Do you accept the consequences of your sin? Have you been honest about your sin? Sometimes we say, have you ever, have you ever done the I'm sorry but? You know that sentence? I'm sorry, but if you were so, weren't so annoying, I wouldn't have done it. I'm sorry, but I was really tired, so if I wasn't so tired, I wouldn't have done it. I'm sorry, but. That's not real repentance. Real repentance comes to the Lord and says, Lord, I have sinned. I'm sorry. And you're honest about that. You're not trying to hide. You're not trying to evade. You're honest about your sin. And number four, and probably the most important, are you actively seeking to change? You know, a lot of us, we moan about our sin. I keep doing it, I keep doing it, I keep doing it, I keep doing it. What are you doing about it? The Christian fight is a battle. We're supposed to fight against our sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you seeking the change in your life? Are you seeking the change in your life? That would be real repentance. The people, they continue on. Let me read the last couple of verses I'll read to you. Verse 15. After the Lord says, let your own save you. Verse 15. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you, only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord, and he became impatient over the misery of Israel. It's hard to believe them, isn't it, when you see them do it again and again and again? Except this time they actually do something. They put away the foreign gods. I think sometimes we have our sin and we hold it in and we keep it as precious and we hide it and we tell nobody about it. No one can know this. I'm going to keep this here. I'm going to keep this with me. No, the scripture would say this to you. Put it away. Put it away. That is real repentance. Put it away. Confess your sin before the Lord Jesus Christ today. If you are saved, you are saved from punishment. You are saved from yourself. But you are saved to real, genuine repentance. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's true repentance. It's not ignoring your sin. It is confessing your sin. 
What sins are you holding on to today? What sins are you not fighting with today? What do you need to put away today? Because if you confess your sin today, I know a Savior. (laughs) I know a Savior who is faithful and just and He will forgive you of all your sin. Some of us, because of what I have said, you have believed the lie that says, I am too bad for Him. I am not good enough for Him. I cannot be saved. That is not true, and that is not what I'm saying, because if you would genuinely repent, you will be forgiven of all, all your sins. And I would encourage you, do that today. We will have time at the Lord's table. And I would encourage you, take that time, take that time to confess your sins. Oh, what a salvation we have in Jesus. Are you saved? I hope you say yes. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that we would be people of genuine repentance. People who confess our sins, know the reality of our sin, and come to you, our Savior. Oh, what a salvation we have in Jesus. Pray, Lord, that we'd live for you and serve you alone. In your name, amen.